Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. Sean? Which one of us uh, are we going to outsource? You or me? Let's outsource your clone. Me? I know you- yeah, yeah one one of your clone. <laughs> Let's outsource clones. you. All right. Well, it's all, yeah, we'll keep the clones outsource me. Maybe that's a better better decision. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe in your case, it's an easy decision for you to make. Uh, but it's in business, it's not always easy to to understand how your business runs or how your department runs. If we're talking about a government entity and whether or not it makes sense to keep things in-house. Can you staff it properly? Do you know enough about it? Can you get things running and keep on top of it? Or is it better to let somebody else who knows that stuff uh, better perhaps do it for you? And uh, it appears, Marco, there's there's some discussions taking place uh, around this, and probably in every, every business and government entity. But uh, there's one in particular that's raised... Some eyebrows and uh, piques some interest, and we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, outsourcing cyber and IT in the de- Department of Defense, which is quite different. You know, I, I like how you went very, very generic, like business outsourcing, outsourcing you as an individual, and now we're actually talking about outsourcing, you know, critical infrastructure here in terms of you know really. What, what it could come down to national security. And so we don't want to scare anybody with this. And uh, but, but there is this book that is being written out there by the, the two guests that we have today that we're, they're going to tell us the story. And one of them, actually, it's, uh, it's a recurring guest. We, we already talked to Chase Cunningham. And I remember a really kind of fun uh, conversation on uh, how we went from throwing stone at each other in the prehistoric time and call that war and kinetic war into the modern day cyber warfare. And I think this is kind of the next step. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about where we come from and where we're going with this. Yeah, we're going to outsource uh, throwing stones at each other. 
We're going to outsource the conversation to our guests because we don't know anything about this, it. This is that's actually very interesting. So, <laughs> it's a good uh, idea. Chase Cunningham is on, and I'm going to ask him to introduce himself in a second. Uh, he brings with him his co-author, yeah. Greg, Greg Tuhill. And uh, Greg will say a few words in a moment. But Chase, what what's new? What are you up to? A little bit about yourself if folks know who, uh, who they're hearing from today. Sure. So uh, I'm a chief strategy officer at Aircom Software. Um, I also do kind of like you guys have my own podcast, Dr. Zero Trust. Um, unfortunately for the masses, I write books now, so they have to read the stuff I write. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to have, you know, Greg Tuhill asked me to help co-author this book. And this was a blast because uh, we got to go down some rabbit holes and Greg let me play the bad guy. That sounds like fun. <laughs> and Greg. Uh, so Greg is a good guy. Greg is a good guy. I'm involved in a lot of things. I can't remember uh, how we met years ago, but uh, it's great to see you again. Uh, obviously, we're a podcast here, but I can see you. Uh, what have you been up to, and uh, how might folks recognize the name from past adventures you've been on? Well, uh, thanks, guys, for having me. and uh, it's Always a joy to collaborate with Chase Cunningham. Um, like Chase, I'm a uh, retired military member, uh, having served uh, in the Air Force for over 30 years. Continued my service as a Deputy Assistant Secretary at uh, Homeland Security, ran the National Cybersecurity and Communications Integration Center, and I culminated my government service as uh, the Chief Information Security Officer of the federal government, having been appointed by President Obama. And uh, since that time, I went into industry, uh, built uh, a successful cybersecurity startup, uh, teach uh, cybersecurity at uh, Carnegie Mellon University, and I'm on the faculty at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, have, have done extensive writing and publishing myself, and, and a lot of research along the way. So, um, really good partnership in this. Uh, what we think is a very provocative study, uh, and the the story that goes with it. Yeah. Geared, Perfect. Geared to drive conversation. This one. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. But let, let's start from our prior conversation, Chase, and uh, and maybe what has been the the evolution between that book that you wrote and we talked about it about you know wh where are we with uh, cyber warfare and what the next steps been to kind of what understanding to be projecting this kind of narrative scenario based on reality, of course, and and imagine what could go wrong. So. Uh, Tell me, tell me your mental process and jumping from that book to this. Well, uh, I mean, the, the last book was really on, I kind of consider it to be a historical sort of analysis on cyber warfare and how that looks today. And this book, uh, honestly, it was, it was Greg's uh, idea to do this. So he, well, he, I mean, he, he, he had the idea for this and just kind of asked me. And um, the, the, the really cool thing was we got to write from kind of two perspectives. It's not often you get two authors that can talk about a subject and, actually are you know entrenched in the space and greg was able to write from the perspective of leading and and, and managing and maintaining and controlling and all the really important aspects of this and i got to go down the rabbit hole of how the adversary would do things to you know cause problems with what he was doing and it was it was just a blast to put that narrative together yeah i was wondering about the dynamic uh between the two of you because uh the first thing that came to mind was, was greg's insight into deep down operational this is how things work maybe not always good but here, here's how things are working in the government 
And then Chase, you have the broad analyst view of what's happening both in government, public sector, and in commercial with respect to threats, risks, solutions, all that stuff. And I, I was thinking this is going to be a really cool story, the combination of that. And the fact that you took it to uh, red team, blue team almost, kind of that that narrative, good, good cop, bad cop, I think also uh, makes for an interesting story. So, Greg, what was the catalyst? Yeah, th- thanks, Sean. So, you know, we were looking at this from the standpoint of um, some very well-intentioned people within DOD are looking at the existing risks out there, the, the increased cost of IT operations and maintenance, the, um, the big gap in cyber workforce and the work to you know, sustain this huge enterprise within DOD. And uh, you know, the Department of Defense, there's a really good uh, case to be made that the Department of Defense is, like many organizations, fallen behind in its ability to operate and maintain an effective, efficient, and secure manner its IT infrastructure. So there's a growing demand signal out there for folks who are saying, well, why don't we just outsource all of this? We've already got a bunch of contractors involved in this. We can't recruit and retain as many people as we need to do this effectively. A business world can do it better. And uh, as a result of that, Chase and I took a look at it from the perspective of risk and risk management. And we built a story around that. And uh, I think this is one of the more effective uses of where you get the general and the chief petty officer collaborating uh, to take a look at what are those risks? What kind of things could happen? And then how should you, in fact, as you were going through the risk calculus on moving forward with an initiative or figuring out that maybe this is not the best initiative, how it could all play out. And that's where I think this story has been pretty effective. Yeah, Greg, I'm going to stick with you for a moment um, because I'd like your perspective on how you looked at this from from that risk perspective. Because I saw some some chatter on social media that that they're raising the the payment or the, the, the salaries for folks in CISA. And as one example where that addresses perhaps the risk of a lack of workforce. So if they can attract talent in, maybe maybe they can help with that part of it. Um, you might have smart people, but you have to keep them smart, right? So training, ongoing training costs money. The technology changes, you need to get them trained on the technology and then keep the technology up to date. There's a whole operational thing of it. And so what I wanna know is how, did you look at it from that broad perspective of People process technology, uh, communication. You have to get the budget. Uh, all that's included in all of that in terms of build by. Yeah, and we, we 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 did talk about that, and it's it's actually evaluated uh, in the narrative. And uh, you know, with CISA, which is where I used to work, um, you know, I used to uh, uh, serve there as one of the senior executives. Yeah. You know, you, you got to take a look at the fact that when it comes to cyber workforce, are we really even addressing the right problem by throwing more money at salaries? Or is the bigger problem that the tools that we have are too complex and are putting the burden more on the human 
than putting the burden on the software. Um, you know, why do we need to have more people as opposed to make the machines smarter and better serving the humans? Uh, so you know, there's a lot of different things that uh, come into play here. And we try to address all of the risks, the people, the process, the technology, uh, as we take a look at developing the narrative, the story, and, and then identifying what potentially could go wrong. So, uh, Chase, so it, it started with this idea that outsourcing may actually be a way to go. And I'm, I'm assuming that you were like, um, I don't know if that's a good idea. So let, let's play this uh, red team, blue team thing. So what, what is actually, apart from what Greg just said about you know the lack of resources and so forth, that really made you think like, yeah, it's not a good idea. Let's, let's play a simulation here and see why it may not be so good. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I don't know, personal character flaw, right? I always look at everything from the bad guy perspective, like the adversary. Um, and for for when you're looking at these types of scenarios, I think that um, a lot of folks get kind of wrapped up around the dollars and cents of trying to do something and the reasons for doing it and et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of times they don't back up and go, well, wait a minute, if if we do this, are we actually empowering the adversary by putting them into a place where we don't have command and control. We, you know, we're not actually running things. And oh, by the way, the more interconnected stuff is with uh, overt sort of accesses and privileges and without the processes in place to limit the bad guy, you, if you do it wrong, you, you know, the, the avenue of bad gets really wide really quickly. And the bad guys, I mean, you know, they're just sitting there like licking their chops waiting for this type of thing. And this scenario was a great way to run through how all that plays out. And I'm wondering that the conversations that uh, you're hearing about um, in terms of timing, I presume they're happening now. Um, so this is after something like a, a solar winds where there's a lot of trust in one place. <laughs> um, did does something like that factor into these conversations? Cause that that's a, I don't know how much service outsourcing is part of SolarWinds, but there's certainly a lot of tech stack reliance from an outsourcing perspective. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we literally wrote that into the summary and into this that we, uh, we kind of wanted to say we thought of this before that was a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it was because we, we couldn't publish fast enough to beat the, beat the story, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and, you know, the, the actual discussion of outsourcing on scale has been debated for at least the last decade. I mean, this has been something that's been a ping pong ball in the uh, the Pentagon. Uh, yet, you know, you have solar winds, you have some other uh, situations, and let's, let's just uh, consider solar winds the tip of the iceberg above the water. Uh, as you take a look at the risk exposure, uh, the more you outsource, the less control you actually have. So uh, from a risk exposure standpoint, you've got to have a means of calculating your risk and understanding what the potential downfall could be if things don't work exactly right. Uh, ultimately, it's all about resilience. And cybersecurity is all about resilience, being able to take a punch and keep on going. And 
in the summary here, I, I see that the 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 perspective and and the main focus is to to play this story, this fictional scenario, which hopefully they are fictional. We'll see if they actually turn around true. And I want to know some example as we move on into the conversation. But it seems like there is this single service provider that is the outsourcing uh, subject of, of the story, which already sounds pretty scary to me. But what would be the difference? Would it make a difference to figure out a story with many providers and how would that make the story even worse or better so why did you choose that line well i think um part of it was was you know the jedi stuff was going on there was a lot of conversations going on around that whole single sort of eye of sauron right the one ring to rule them all type of thing and that's a problem but there's also the problem like you said if it's many many outsources and many many you know cats inside of the herd there not the cats running herds but cats in in the cult whatever a group of cats is called i don't know but <laughs> that whole that whole thing can be problematic too the i think in you know I'm, I'm interjecting a little bit here but i think the the point we were trying to kind of get across is it's really about approaching the problem right and then thinking about these things from variety of perspectives and applying technology that would limit like greg was saying limit the bad from being cataclysmic we we accept that there is bad going to happen but we don't want cataclysm and and greg I and mean, this is something that i've looked at quite a bit uh over my time in in this space of of information security the, the whole decision making process for do you do it yourself or do you outsource and the the typical question that gets asked first is we don't have what, what it takes to do it ourselves. So we're going to transfer it somewhere else where presumably they do. Um, and with that, the, the mindset of I'm transferring responsibility, I'm transferring liability, I'm transferring that risk and kind of hands, hands wiped clean of, of all the stuff that comes with it. I presume you talk about in the book, in these scenarios, the risks associated with such a move. Um, do you expect people to understand the scenarios of risk that you present, assuming that they couldn't understand the scenarios <laughs> before making a decision to outsource in the first place? In other words, they're not playing out scenarios before outsourcing. Do we expect the, the post-outsource scenarios to make sense at all? Well, there's a lot to unpack with that. But there, let, let me walk down th through it. Uh, you know, first of all, um, every commander knows that you can delegate certain authorities to do certain things, but you never can delegate responsibility. You know, it all comes back to you as the boss, and, and that's one thing that we do highlight in the uh, in the narrative is that. Um, you know, the Secretary of Defense in the story acknowledges the fact that, yeah, we're going to take some some risk, but life is full of risk. You know, we're, we're going to go down this path. But if it doesn't work out, you come back to me as the SecDef. I'm, I'm responsible. Uh, and, and I think that goes with any organization, be it in government or in the business world. Um, you're, you're going to be making some decisions 
regarding outsourcing or um, going to the ex the so-called experts to go do certain tasks. But ultimately, if it's your organization, if it's your business, you're still going to be responsible, even if you have a third party to go out and do something. And, and then further, if you're going to put all of your eggs in one basket, uh, proverbially, you better have the proper risk mitigation measures so that if, in fact, you get hit with, in this case, a cyber attack, or it could even be a physical attack, that you are resilient enough and that you've taken the proper risk mitigation initatives so that your mission doesn't crumble. You want to make sure that you can take that proverbial punch and keep on going. And that's the whole point of resiliency. And as we collectively, we look at cybersecurity as a risk management issue, not just technology. It's the people, process, and technology. And you're going to be taking risk every day. But you got to make sure that you're smart about the risk. You evaluate your options, and you build resiliency in. And in this particular story, um, we tell the story where by going to that single service provider, they didn't have the resiliency built in. They didn't have the means uh, put programmed in place to have independent third-party testing, pen testing, hunting, those type of things in there that perhaps would have uh, changed that risk calculus and the decision-making that was involved. So, Chase, you, you played the bad guy. So tell me this story from the perspective of the adversary and, yeah, and something. <laughs> yeah, like you have to do the evil love to start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from from the adversary perspective, it was kind of, it was fun for me because I get to put on my uh, my nation state hat, right? And I got <laughs> to kind of think of if I was, uh, if I was nation state, not that I would know anything about that, but if I was nation state, like how would I go after this type of targeting? And then, um, you know, well, Greg and I talked about it and uh, the our decision was kind of like, well, let's, let's run the whole gambit of what this would actually look like. And I, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun because we were able to involve aspects of nation state. We involved the drug cartel. We involved uh, developers like uh, going through that whole life cycle and kill chain of how, uh, how everything can be leveraged for a compromise. And then how the adversary looks at all of this sort of, conjoined cobbled together infrastructure and processes and exploits that entire thing not just i found an access the uh the weird hacker movie thing where they go i'm in and wink at the camera you know it was like how do you do this for the life cycle for the long haul when you're looking at you know people uh, processes technologies from the adversary perspective and, and chase you also um, you involved multiple adversaries acting at the same time and drafting, kind of like NASCAR, uh, you know, following each other through that cyber maze, which... Cyber drafting, was, yep. <laughs> cyber drafting, it's, it's like a new thing. Cyber drafting. Talk, talk to me a little bit about the, I don't know if there are sub-scenarios within the story. Is, is it one... Is it one scene that you're describing throughout the whole book that has different different aspects, different players, and and different things going on, or is it a bunch of little 
this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. Here's how this scenario plays out in each one. I mean, I would say, uh, remember the TV show 24? It was kind of like 24 where there's a, there's a big story arc and then there's all these things that kind of happen along that 24-hour cycle. I, that's, I guess that's kind of my thinking. I don't know what Greg thinks. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. Uh, it, it's obviously not 24, but it's more like a uh, – it, it's compressed into uh, – most of it in the decision-making cycle is a compressed 45-day cycle. And, and uh, it, it's kind of a rapid-fire type of thing where we introduce the different characters that would be involved in the decision-making process. We introduce stressors that uh, each one of them are facing. And, and then further, um, we introduce um, uh, the opposing forces uh, and uh, some things that they've already cashed in on in the background that they've been saving for the rainy day. And then they pull off the shelf and say, ooh, now's the rainy day. Now's the time where we can go use this because the Americans have done X, Y, and Z. So um, it, it culminates with a trigger event uh, and it helps answer the question what potentially could go wrong. And do you get into, I don't know if uh, the NIST framework is where I want to go with this, but kind of the, this is what protection looks like in that scenario versus detection versus response versus recovery. Do, do you look at it in that context in any way? I mean, it was really, I think we looked at it, like Greg said, as far as the whole, the whole, the whole process. And then here's where there's a tipping point. And when the tipping point happens, it's a, it's not a gradual slide. Like things go bad fast, which is not good when you're in this sort of realm. Um, and I, I would say too, like there's, uh, what I'm hoping for is when people read this that are interested in this stuff, they'll see like, well, they, they'll kind of look and go, oh, I sh they should have done this there. Oh, this would have been, that should have, you know, being able to put that thing together and sort of extrapolate, here's here's where they went wrong. And with the narrative, the point of the narrative is to say, like, you can see this falling apart as it's progressing. And it, is it a series of bad things that if a different decision is made at each step, the outcome could, could be different? Or is it just the first bad decision or action or lack of action basically sets us off and it's completely unrecoverable. Well, one of the things we try to do, uh, Sean, is, is demonstrate that it, this is done with the best of intent and that there, there is in fact some logic behind some of the decisions that are being made. But um, as the readers looking through it, you can see it's kind of a train wreck happening, happening in slow motion. And um, we're hoping that the readers, as they are going through the narrative, they understand that these people are generally acting with best intent, but there's certain suppositions that they're making along the way. And when it comes to evaluating risk, and you know, we, we you, you certainly can apply the NIST cybersecurity framework of identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. But we're going to leave that to the readers to say, okay, where in this stage should this have been done? Uh, and, uh, you know, when it hits that culminating point, 
you don't have time for you to, you know to whip out your uh, cybersecurity framework and say, okay, which one of these identify, protect, detect, respond, recover? You're out of schlitz when you have a culminating uh, moment like what we present in the story. And it is not a tactical culminating moment. It is a strategic national level culminating moment. Um, and to me, that, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you for a moment. Yeah. I know Mark wants to jump in as well, but for me, that, that says you want to outsource where somebody lives and breathes this stuff. Cause what you're describing is a scenario where it's not natural for you to deal with this type of thing where perhaps somebody who's responsible or outsourcing they're being outsourced to might be more ready to deal with something like that. Sounds like you want to hear the end of the story here. I do want to hear the end. <laughs> you don't want to give that up. <laughs> well, I think if you read the story, and when you read the story, you'll recognize that uh, there's a lot of similarities, not only to this particular story, but to other decisions that are being made around corporate America, around the world corporately, not just in government, uh, regarding uh, how your how people are architecting, how they are sharing information, how they are freely giving up information in a world where privacy is continually uh, under uh, assault. Yeah, it, it should be a. a viewed as a very thought-provoking thought um, narrative that hopefully will take the reader down other paths of, uh, of thought and, and make them think about, really, how important is my data? Where is my data? How should it be protected? Who should it be shared with? And then further, who do I want to be the custodians of my data? Yeah, I, I love that you went there because uh, without spoiling the story, of course, because we want people to read it. I, I like to finish this with the reader that you have in mind, because when you write a book, you always picture who am I writing this for and what do I hope the reader or now that you said 24, I can't just stop seeing the clock going, you know, <laughs> from from the from the TV series. What what is the reader that you had in mind? Are the policymakers? Is it the everyday people? The public opinion in general? And what kind of lesson? Which you kind of read it, Greg, into it. But um, what 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 is your goal with this? I mean, is it creating awareness more for this, or or what what is it? What is your hope for it? And I I like to hear from both of you. I, mean, I, I think for me, I, I, I always want the, the folks that are in positions where they can make a difference to read this type of stuff, be they a leadership, someone on Capitol Hill, someone with their own business, those types of things. I, my, my humble sort of hope is that anyone that's in a position to do something to you know stop these types of problems reads through this and kind of goes, okay, I see, the, I see where the flaws were in the logic. I see that you know, this went wrong. And, oh, I wasn't aware that the adversary would look at it in this way. Um, and I should do something different. Because I, 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 I find with all the people I work with in cyber, we spend so much time looking at kind of the ways we should do things. And we pontificate about the, the right way. 
I want to show them like, if you don't do that, this is what you should expect. Like if you're enabling failure, expect failure. Is it a, a problem of trying to make decision without enough knowledge or having the knowledge, but not having the tools for it? And that's why the outsourcing part. And I mean, I, I think the, the, I think there was a great, I think that we did a great job, especially Greg with his piece on, you know, showing that these people understand the, the, the breadth of what they're trying to do. Like they're not, like you said, best of intentions. They're not doing this with malevolence, but because of the fact that they're not, in my opinion, from my perspective, writing the bad guy side, they're not looking at it from the perspective of, are we, are we giving the keys to the kingdom to the bad guy? Um, Cause that's what they're waiting for. And then, you know, things go sideways and it, 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 it is a snowball. Um, and that, like that, that, that was what I was kind of, was I read through Cause this, this was so cool because I've written books, but it's very rare to write a book with somebody of his caliber and then also have it where he writes some stuff and he would kick it over the fence to me and I would write the counter and then I would kick it back over the fence to him. So we were ping ponging this thing back and forth. It was, it was really fun to write this type of thing. And I, I mean, I, I learned a lot writing this, this way as well. It sounds like a very fun and very creative process the one that, that you guys had so greg what's what's the moral of the story for you and and an invitation to people to read it a, a couple of uh, things uh you know the the broad moral of the story is before you make any life-changing decisions make sure that you evaluate the risk and uh and you build in resilience into whatever uh, decision you're going to make regarding how you're going to protect and manage your data. Um, today's national security and national prosperity are fueled by data. And if you don't properly um, manage and control that data uh, throughout its life cycle, you're going to compromise both national security and national prosperity. So, um, we, we hope that with this particular book that we're going to provoke uh, decision makers at, at all levels that uh, are dealing with handling their data, to think of data as a resource that needs to be protected, and, and further to make sure that they are taking prudent and fair and comprehensive risk management efforts to ensure continuity of operations on a really bad day and understand the risks that are involved with uh, handing your data over to other folks for their custodianship. And then further, if you're going to go with a single one, you got to understand what the potential could be regarding your resilience. Sounds like uh... A lot can be learned from public sector to commercial and, and vice versa, right? Um, I hope. I can, I can, <laughs> yeah. I, I can, these are, this is driven by discussions you've, you're, you're aware of at the government level, but there's nothing to stop somebody at a multinational <laughs> critical infrastructure company running healthcare, let's say. They could probably learn a lot from this as well. We think so. And, you know, as you take a look at critical infrastructure, 85% of the critical infrastructure in the United States 
and arguably around the world is in the hands of the private sector. But the complexity, the, uh, the value of the data, all, all of that uh, is very similar regardless if you're in government or critical infrastructure. In the business world, Chase and I have both been in the business world as well as in government. We've seen it on both sides of the streets. And uh, the underlying foundational elements are the same regardless of where you stand. Well, I have to say uh, I'm excited to unpack the story. I want to I want to hear the ending or read the ending, I should say. <laughs> so I'm not going to pry it out of you. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Just think of uh, um, think of one of the worst scenarios you could possibly have at the national level for defense and have it go wrong. That's that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> That sounds like a movie in the making. Um, ho- hopefully, uh, shed some light on outsourcing in general for everybody considering it. Um, but more importantly for me, I'm always looking at risk myself. So even if you've made the decision to not outsource, um, you're, you're effectively outsourcing to yourself. And a lot of the scenarios probably can play out with you in charge of the same thing. So I well, suspect I- there's a lot, a lot to uncover from that perspective, too. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I want to throw in the mix there was part of the the adversary perspective here was to remind everybody that just because you don't think you're you're a value for the bad guys, you're a value for the bad guys. So you need to like that argument I have with people all the time about workshops about why would they target me? They may not be targeting you. They might be using you and you need to Mm -hmm. be aware of that. Yeah. And outsourcing is not a bad thing. You know, the. There's so many different cases where industry can do something better, faster, and cheaper. But if, in fact, you are going to be outsourcing, uh, you want to make sure that you're doing your due care and due diligence to make sure that that person or organization that is um, helping you out is, in fact, helping you out and is not necessarily the victim of somebody else. And you should be doing your homework Uh, to make sure that you have the proper security controls in place in partnership with your outsourcing partner to make sure that you are covering your sticks. Yeah, we we can't uh, eliminate the supply chain or the cloud or or anything else like that, right? We're going to still rely on each other to uh, do bigger and better things together. Uh, Hopefully we do that with a a good lens and view into the risks that come with it. Uh, Greg, Chase, pleasure to have you on. Thanks for writing this book. Looking forward to reading the end. Hopefully folks get a chance to read it and uh, take a few things from it themselves. Uh, You're always welcome back on the show. I will include a link to the book and anything else you both want to share with the audience that uh, might be helpful in their decision-making and risk analysis processes. Uh, Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. 
Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.